If you're looking for strong opinions, loosely held and widely shared, you've come to the right place. This is the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. Today with us, uh, we have uh, Wayne PhD student of transportation at the University of Calgary. Uh, he's a, a font of knowledge on all things uh, transit related, uh, uh, walkable city related. Uh, I know Willem uh, spends a lot of time uh, at city council meetings and what have you. Is all of that true, Willem? Is that fair? Yeah, so far so good. That's great. <laughs> well, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. So, uh, you know, as you know, uh, you're a you're a talkie, you're a listener. I know this for a fact, um, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure some of the stuff that we say uh, probably angers you from time to time. Being that we're a couple guys who uh, you know drive our cars in from the burbs and uh, you know have opinions about stuff that we might not be fully up on. So we're hoping that maybe you'll uh, do some educating for us tonight. <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way. You just make the choices that you uh, that you have based on your options. Oh, I, lo- I love this guy. This guy's after my heart already, Dave. He's he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's from my Adam Smith School of Life is a series of trades and and uh, trade offs. Right. Well, so uh, so what got you interested in uh, in wh- what are we going to call? It? We'll call it transportation for lack of a better term. So what got you interested in transportation in general? Right. Uh, it's always been something that I've been it's kind of been a part of my, what I've enjoyed in life. I mean, I, I remember as a kid, I was, uh, I had, uh, I spent eight months in Holland, um, when my mom had a sabbatical and, and I loved the train system there and I loved sort of figuring out how it worked and, and sort of figuring out how they, how they root stuff. And that sort of carried along with me. So I, uh, I did a physics degree uh, as my undergrad and, but transportation was sort of always kind of on the back of my mind. And then I worked very briefly for Canadian Pacific as a rail traffic controller. Um, and after that, I decided I'd like to continue doing transportation, but in a, in a more grad school level thing. So that's, that's how I got to be a, a PhD student. On the surface, rail traffic control seems a lot less stressful than air traffic control. Yeah, I, it's funny. I always, I, I, the way I thought about it is air traffic control has sort of three dimensions. And then I guess sea traffic control has two dimensions. And right. Rail traffic control should really only have one. But it, I believe me, it's very stressful. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, well, give me, give me an example then. Like what sort of stuff are you, are you dealing with? Is it mostly like yeah, trains so, coming in and out of the yard? No, it's, it's a lot of the, the, the main, the main track stuff. Um, that's where I worked on. So I, I worked on a, a territory that was sort of uh, middle of middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, and, and a little bit of middle of nowhere, Manitoba. Um, the problem being that the, the amount of rail traffic going on in the country is just kind of steadily increasing. Even though it's all freight, it's kind of there's the traffic's going up and up, and the infrastructure can't quite keep up. It's very expensive to to build that new infrastructure, and so you have. Um, these systems that were designed for maybe a few trains a day or, or, you know, not, not that many trains. And now you're trying to handle a ton of them at, at a time. So, um, you know, for example, places where there's no signals, you have to sort of give trains permission to go very specific distances. And you have to do that sort of all by hand by sort of reading them instructions back and forth. So that's very time consuming and, and it quickly kind of spirals out of control in terms of, in terms of the amount of, uh, amount of things you're keeping track of at once. And of course you want to do it all very carefully and methodically as well. Because right. You don't want to be running trains into each other. 
Unstoppable was a good movie, by the way, Dave. There, that's um, that's my train reference so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you you took you took that job, you did that for a bit. Uh, so just for the listeners, so I, I know Willem. Willem's uh, volunteered at Loose Moose a little bit, so that's how I got to know him. And we've chatted a couple times about sort of urban planning and stuff. We uh, we discovered that we had uh, that as an interest. I think Willem's uh, probably taken it to a, a higher degree than I have because, of course, I have no actual free time to uh, literally take a higher degree. Yes, eh? <laughs> there you go <laughs> to a, to a higher degree. <laughs> to there you PhD. go. So. Um, so yeah, so you 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 do a you do a lot of uh, a lot of work, a lot of study around the concept of uh, transportation within cities and uh, sort of you know urban uh, accessibility and planning and that kind of stuff. So what uh, what can you tell us about where Calgary is right now as far as that goes? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think there's sort of two ways to look at it. You can look at sort of the rate at which we are progressing. And you could look at the point at which we started and, and where we are. Um, so I think, you know, compared to uh, a lot of the more walkable cities around the world, uh, we've got, you know, a long way to go. We've got we've got some progress to make in terms of sort of integrating as many different transportation uh, options as possible. But in terms of how we're progressing for a North American city, I'd, I'd say we're actually doing some pretty uh, innovative things and some new things. And the cycle tracks are a great example of that. Yeah, I always find it really interesting, uh, just sort of an, on a global level, uh, the the idea that sort of how cities are formed and how they grow uh, has a lot to do with sort of their location and where they are progress-wise. So things like uh, like Vancouver, Vancouver has nowhere to grow, so they have to grow up. Right. right? Calgary, lots of space, so we haven't really worried about – and when I say grow up, I mean vertically, not, not age-wise. No, it was, it was a good um, double entendre. <laughs> So and so, of course, Calgary. We haven't really uh, worried about that a lot yet because we have a lot of of land around us. Uh, and then there's the idea that you know there's a lot of countries in Africa that just skipped phone lines altogether, right? They just right. went right to sell because why bother? Now that we're getting these things, we don't need to do it the way the old people did. Um, in the same way that European cities had the much smaller streets because they weren't built for cars, North American cities are built for cars. So I find all that stuff really fascinating and it really sort of, in my head, it, it really seems to shape the way a city grows uh, and it has a lot to do with where that city is and, and where it is in terms of technology and location. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there is one thing about, I mean, if you think about sit, like why do people live in cities in the first place, right? Why, why do we seem to be increasingly living closer together? I guess the way to put it. And there's a few economic reasons, right? There's, there's reasons because, um, you know, there's more jobs is sort of a first answer people give, or there's more opportunity there. But I, I think that's all part of the fact that people People want to be close together because you get a sort of economy of scale. You know, you, you need a certain critical mass of people, for example, to be able to have something like the loose moose. And so you start to get these, these sort of extra services you wouldn't get from a small, smaller community. And as that grows and grows, it attracts more people and we want to live closer and closer together. So I think there's sort of a natural tendency to a limit, of course, to live near each other, whether or not you're restricted geographically. I think that, that in North America, however, you know, with this sort of age of the car and the cities being built around the car, the the cities that have been geographically constrained have had a bit of a, a leg up in terms of 
sort of transitioning to that idea. The, the idea of like higher density and uh, building upward vertically rather than outward. Is that what you mean? Right. Yeah. Just the general idea that, you know, there is a, there is a pole that we want to live closer together. But of course, you know, so that means space is scarce and space is limited. And, but of course we need room to move around and we need room to, to do things and, and recreate and stuff. So that sort of push and pull and finding the right balance for that is, you know, maybe I think we are sort of tending to lean towards the fact that in North America, we found a balance or we started with a balance that was a little bit too spread out. And now we're heading back to something a little more dense that we had before the car. So keying on something Dave said earlier, though, about uh, countries in Africa that, you know, skip landline altogether because the technology is to the point where you don't need to, that. Um, do, do, you, do you sense some of that coming with transportation? One of the reasons why um, I might not be all in on the green line is because I think that by the time that project could be completed, we might have an entirely different concept of, of what efficient, effective public transportation means. Yeah, that's an interesting. So that sort of technology leapfrogging that right. you're talking about um, with with telecommunications is interesting. The problem with transportation is that no matter how much technology you invent and how good you get at it, you can't escape the the laws of geometry. You can't get over the fact that you know a person in a car, regardless of what that car is doing or how efficient that car is moving, is going to have a a bigger box around them than a person on a, on a green line train, right? There's, there's sort of these fundamentals of space that reach a certain limit. And, and so, you know, telecommunications isn't really, isn't really um, beholden to geometry while with transportation, it is about space and moving around space. And so there are some sort of fundamentals about space that we can't really out tech. No, fair enough. But there, there's something to be said too. Like one of the primary arguments that I always get, you know, with respect to public transportation is to get cars off the road, right? We've got congested roadways, but if we are moving towards more efficient, um, means of, of moving people and more automated means of moving people, and that should alleviate some of the congestion, which would lead to, um, some, you know, geometric relief, if you will. I mean, you might not need such large containers to move people around in. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have one person propelled by a single motor, right. it, you're never going to get a motor small enough that you can't propel 50 people with one motor and use less space. Okay. Right? Yeah, sure. Like there is, there is that sort of limit, but to your, to your point about, um, no, oh, never mind. We'll get back to that. <laughs> so, uh, so I know one of the, the things that we say that probably drives you crazy. We start talking about, uh, transit and, uh, uh, we've, I, I can't remember, Will, if you and I have talked about this or not, but so one thing I say on, on the show a lot is that, uh, I'm definitely a fan of, uh, of things that, that incent people to do something. Uh, I'm not a fan of things that sort of decentivize people. So, you know, if we're talking like traffic calming measures, I'm a big fan of things that make it to people's benefit to not drive through a community, not as big of a fan of things that make it harder for people to do things. And I get that, you know, obviously you can't just use one side of the, you know, the coin there that you have right. to do some things because people will, some people will always do stuff. But uh, so, so yeah, we, we talk about that a lot. The idea of, you know, how do we incentivize people to use transit more? And uh, so one of the, uh, one of the brilliant ideas that Roger and I came up with was, uh, was to charge people less if they're coming from further out and to charge people more if they're closer. And uh, I suspect that one probably drives you up the wall a little bit. 
Uh, no, there's, it's, that's an interesting thing. I wrote an article actually a little bit about, about fares and, and distance based fares. Right. And I mean, the, the thing, the interesting thing is that somebody who's on a train closer to downtown, right. If we're, if we're looking at this sort of radio centric thing that we have in Calgary, if, if somebody's on a train closer to downtown, their trip is shorter. Right. right. So they're using less of the transit system. So you could argue that maybe they should pay less. So that's one way to start. But the other, and the other way you could argue is that it costs more to reach people further out from the city, right? Partly because they're going to use more of the transit system, but it also just generally there's more spread out. You're living in a neighborhood that's less dense. And so again, it costs more. And so you could charge people more. Uh, but you could also go the other way, which is, you know, what if you had a system where the amount you paid for transit was based on the number of people on the bus sort of inversely. So the more people were on the bus, you'd split the cost of whatever it takes to run the bus up more. So the busier the bus was, the less each individual would pay, right? And of course, that's an absolutely ridiculous thing to implement and, and do. But it's kind of an interesting way to think about how, like, what, what is the purpose of setting a fare? And what is the purpose of, like, what is, what is it really costing the transit company? And then what is it really costing society to have, you know, congested lines or not have transit at all or, and that kind of thing. So you, I find that, you know, whichever way you want to value it, you can kind of, you can kind of go both ways on it. I, I, wait, I want to explore this idea a little bit further. So if you're that polite guy who lets other people get on the bus first, then you're saving the most money pretty much, right? By the time it gets to you, the fare is going to be reduced. I mean, and I'm only in, in this world, you still have to pay when you walk by the fare box. We don't all get on the bus and then the driver does some sort of calculation here and says, all right, 83 cents each. Right, right. I mean, with with, with enough technology, right, you could figure that stuff out. Mm-hmm. I like this. I like where you're going with this. So, well, it's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> but these are, these are the kind of fun things to, to look about and talk about because it sort of, it figures out for you sort of what what you really think what you value a transit system for or any sort of system when you're, when you're looking at this. Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, from my perspective, I'm, I'm pretty far North. I'm on the other side of Nose Hill. So, uh, and I'm also paid hourly. So it's to my benefit to get downtown as quickly as I possibly can. So I've done the math a few times and transit at this point is not effective for me because I have to drive to the transit line then I'd have to hop on the train and then I have to get downtown. And generally the time that the extra time that that takes me, if I get downtown half an hour earlier, I'm coming out ahead in the long run. But um, I mean, obviously the idea is to try to put, you know, transit stations or, or, or trains where they're going to have the most impact and make it easier for people to get to those, right. We're never going to get to the, the point where every person in the city can just walk out their front door and hop on a bus. Um, so, so what sort of determinations do they make when they're trying to figure out that kind of stuff? Like what goes into that planning? Do you think? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's, I think it's different for different transit agencies. So what are the sort of basic fundamentals of sort of this fundamental trade-off and transit is really all about trade-offs and compromise. And, and one of the fundamental trade-offs is this idea of ridership and coverage. So you could, you know, you have a fixed budget and you could spend a certain amount of it trying to get everybody close to a bus stop. But if you're doing that, and especially in a city like Calgary, where there's a lot of, of neighborhoods that are sort of not geometrically well designed for transit, there there's 
that's going to cost a lot. You're not going to be able to afford to run as many buses per hour on those places. And so transit service isn't going to be super great. The frequency isn't going to be super great, but you're going to be near a bus stop. So you're saying, okay, well, you know, 98% of people who live in Calgary live near a bus stop. Look at us go. But then you can also, on the other hand, you can say, okay, what if we designed transit so that we get the most possible riders? And then there you end up focusing on sort of these denser areas and, and these lines where people, so center street's probably a prime example of that where there's a ton of transit ridership because the, the area is sort of geometrically designed pretty well for that. And you focus on those people and then you say, well, but we're not going to put bus stops everywhere. People who are choosing to live further out of the city, you know, in, in neighborhoods further out of the city, those, those people are just choosing that they don't want to live in a place that has transit access. And then you go from there. Now those are two extremes, right? And, and we sit somewhere. Calgary transit from sort of, if you look at a map, Calgary Transit has sort of decided that they do want to offer service pretty much everywhere. And the problem with that being is it's very expensive. And that means that you have to sort of, um, you sort of have to not focus on some of the ridership areas where maybe you can make some improvements, right? So that's that's sort of that that budget constraint. But it's this trade-off that's, it's everywhere, right? You can't do anything about it. You have to sort of figure out what, as where as a city we rely on that you know, spectrum. And how do you feel about the free fare zone? <laughs> I love the free fare zone. It means that it means the city's paying twice as much. <laughs> I, I don't think it's I don't think it's that bad. I think it, it's one of those places that the way it's set up, it would be really hard to enforce. It would really be, it would be really hard to enforce fares there. I think it would probably be inefficient to hire people to to try and enforce fares along that zone. So I you know I I don't think I, I yeah it, it makes sense there partly because it's a good transfer point and there's all sorts of buses coming and going and people are hopping, hopping around. So I, I think it's a place where transit actually is probably busy and gets used enough that the fare, you know, the cost, the fare to, to recover the cost there would be low enough that you might as well make it free. So yeah, you'd, you'd almost have to go to like uh, something like San Francisco has where you got the turnstiles and the, the pass cards or something like that. Right. 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 And we've kind of just decided to make a philosophical decision to not do that. Yeah, yeah, we'll go honor system on this uh, on this transit system, if you will. Um, so, what? Wh- why this is a, something that's kind of uh, flummoxed me for a time now. Why do we have such shitty maps? Why couldn't we have like a really awesome map for our public transportation, like Paris or Montreal? Something people would want to put on a T-shirt. Well, I mean, we do have a map, but it's it's really just four lines, right? Right. Uh, you know, we don't have a we don't have a enough of a what I would say is a primary transit network yet to be able to pull something up like that. You know, if you wanted to start including BRT and, and some of the stuff with transit ways and all that stuff, once those get built, you could start to maybe get an actual network. Um, but, you know, we don't have a metro system like Paris or New York. So, uh, but, you know, if, if maybe if you could push for the sort of the fact that we'd have a cool map, if we built more, more dedicated transit lines, I think that might, might be a, might yeah, see, because right now it just sort of looks like a windshield crack, you know, and right. I, I think that well, you could really, well, you could subsidize the transit system if you could sell some T-shirts, like there's some really bitching T-shirts, you know what I mean? Soon right. it will, soon it will look like a like a sort of lopsided snowflake, though, right? If we get when we get the next two parts of the line in, I think that yeah, you- we're going for anorexic starfish is what we're going for. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, if we, if we, if we keep building radio lines, I think the next sort of logical, there's some research that the guy was doing at the university. The next logical thing to do is actually to look at building a ring line. A and ring line. So like around sort of 
Yeah, I mean, the airport green line connection sort of fits with that idea, but that kind of, yes, building a, a, a circular one. If only there was a road already in place that a ring line could go on. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing about roads is they, they bring people out and, and ring transit tends to bring people in. It's kind of densifies. So. so I've been an opponent. I shouldn't say I've been an opponent because I if, if I stood next to the opponents of the BRT, the Southwest BRT, then nobody would call me an opponent. But um, <laughs> I've, I see, I've lived in this neighborhood and grown up in this, in, uh, this neighborhood. And – uh, you know, I, I kind of temper my position with the fact that the three, the the bus route that used to run from Fish Creek Park all the way to Thorncliffe, I guess, um, they just cut the service in my neighborhood because of ridership. There's not enough ridership. So now it's the 37 that goes between Fish Creek and um, Heritage Station. And I ride that bus, you know, infrequently, but there's seldom people on it. And then meanwhile, on the other side of 14th Street uh, from where I live, there's the Ring Road project that's being built. So it just sort of seemed to me like this BRT was uh, a transit project that was kind of shoehorned in, seemed like a good idea and was well argued for. But I, I fear the future won't won't bear that out. What's your take on the BRT? Uh, I mean, I think the BRT project is is fantastic, actually. I think it's I think it's. So there's an interesting thing that I think we need to start doing in Calgary with transit is starting to grid up a little bit. I think we have a we have a we have a really good idea of how to shuffle people in and out of the core, um, and and do that a lot. And of course, that's where a lot of the demand is. But I think that we need to start looking at sort of some of this crosstown stuff. So you know, and, and yes, the Southwest BRT is is a kind of a radial arm there, but it also serves a lot of crosstown stuff as well so i mean there's there's two different things there's the the brt route itself and then there's the transitway chunk along along 14th street and the transitway is just a piece of infrastructure to try and make the bus run smoother and more reliable and not get snarled up with the with the 14th thing as for as for ridership and and demand i mean it's interesting and i i would i would say that if you take one neighborhood in particular like if you take the end of the three or if you take probably the very end of the Southwest BRT as it is now, you know, the, I would say that the, the demand might be relatively low. I think there's so much going on along that route that, um, that it is a little bit more justified. And it's also, you know, you gotta be careful that you don't, you know, measure the need for a bridge based on the amount of people swimming across the river, right? Like if a service that if, if a service isn't good and isn't there, people aren't going to use it even if there's, you know, if there's a really bad service. And, and so there is a little bit of that sort of induced demand where if you build something good, people will come. Um, so that, that is sort of a couple of the, the reasoning behind why sure. it's a good project. I want to argue with you just a little bit though, because, because sure. in the, in, in the, like, I like the bridge analogy, right? Don't, don't, uh, uh, you know, don't measure the, but you, you made it better than me. I'm not even going to retry. Uh, but, but, you know, you've got the C train that runs from Anderson and now runs from further south into downtown. You've got the three that, as I mentioned, they just reduced the service on. So I don't think that there was a lack of service in this area, um, to the extent that, this project is, is justified, but I mean, did you hear something else? Was there an argument from the city that where they could demonstrate that? Yes, we do definitely have, um, you know, ridership that'll be there and also uh, a, a demand that we can see percolating. Yeah, they did. They did ridership studies. They do ridership studies every, every time they do a, a route like this. And they did sort of give a bit of a detailed description. I, I can't find it right now, but they did give a be- detailed description of how, they uh, they go about that kind of ridership study and it's standard now you know you can we can get in the nitty-gritties i don't know much about their exact methodology but they they do apply 
that sort of thing. And they felt it was, they felt it was justified. So it's there. It's, it's probably best to find it in that sort of response to some of those 60 questions that were asked about the Southwest BRT and there's sort of the city put it together, this big PowerPoint. So, um, but there is, there is ridership, you know, justification. And it's not just sort of looking at the neighborhoods and going, Oh, these guys might like it. It's, it's based off of some modeling and, and some data. Right. And I guess you you do have to take into consideration the fact that they're building up that area south of Fish Creek. Like there's just a ton of home construction going on down there. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm still okay, not pro BRT, by the way. <laughs> I'm still not I pro BRT. Go on, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have the solution. I think what we need to do is we need to go to uh, San Francisco style streetcars. Wow. <laughs> As an in-between buses and, and LRTs, we go, we get the old cable cars going in the winter because it's going to be cold. You have a little little fireplace in those bad boys. Be just like getting together with your buddies and sitting around a little fire. What do you think? <laughs> Streetcars are really interesting because people, they're sort of a, I, I read an article, it's called The Desire Name Streetcar, which is a wonderfully named article, but you know, it's it's one of those interesting things that people have a, a nice when they think about it, they have a sort of a nice memory of it. But it, I, it streetcars are something that are, are useful in very specific situations. Like maybe on Seventeenth Avenue would be would be a really good place where people are taking really short trips and they don't really need to go real fast. Uh, so you know, I think there's some great places for it in Calgary. But that's uh, I took your question seriously. But you know, <laughs> that's what I that's what I do. It's more fun to do that. Well, and they also have, uh, again, we're comparing, you know, a gigantic city like uh, San Francisco to Calgary, but they also have, uh, as well as the BART, they also have like a street, like, uh, I don't know what you call it, a street car. Right. Like a smaller version of those. It's not quite a, a subway, but it's a little bigger than a standard bus too. So maybe that, that's what I was thinking when we were talking the BRT is you get those big streets where people can just kind of walk up and, and hop on and on yeah. as needed sort of thing. That's what I'm really hoping the BRT becomes it's not just it's not just a, a, a road you know a couple of bus lanes and a, and a transit way with some buses on it i'm really hoping that the city sort of you know eventually invests in the in some buses that are actually you know low floor and they look actually a lot like lrt cars and they they sort of have that feel to them and and then you actually feel like you're you're riding on something that is you know, a bit of a real transit system yeah, does uh, is it a huge error to you? I mean, in hindsight, that we don't have at grade trains in this city. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, at grade trains came up a ton when they were talking about the Green Line in, in city council, and, and sometimes they were used kind of as a little bit of a, a bit waved around as a tool for how it was going to solve all of the you know potentially bad routing that we were talking about. Some of the some of the decisions that were being made, and that you know I, I didn't agree with that, um, but but I think that there is a feeling when you're on those trains right now, on the red line, and the blue line, that you're on a bit of a, you know, a heavy rail on a bit of a commuter rail. And that's, that is unfortunate because I think that, you know, LR, the beautiful thing about LRT is it sort of wears many different hats at once, depending on where it is. And you lose a bit of that when it's rumbling downtown. And it's a big part of the reason why seventh Avenue isn't as, as vital as maybe it could be. Um, and I'm hoping that maybe the green line will, will not have that same issue. Wait a second. That just kind of sounds like some aesthetic stuff you're talking about. Are there, are there studies or is there some research that shows that cities that have at grade uh, uh, train cars kind of have more of a cosmopolitan feel or, or more uh, uh, positive economic uh, benefits where those trains run? Uh, there, there is some studies about the benefits of having 
that kind of integrated transit. So not like, you know, a, a rail station way further out and actually bringing the transit to the people. And, right, and okay. the LRT is a way of the low floor LRT is a way of doing that with that streetcar feel. Um, again, keep in mind the green line. I mean, there's going to be four car length trains, right? The trains are going to be just as long. That's not really like a Toronto streetcar, right? They're, they are a bit different. So, you know, the, we try to picture these images of different places and different cities that are going to be like Calgary. And it's, it's, it's different. It really is going to be different. Hmm. Yeah, so I was just thinking too. So when you're when you're talking about like trains, full on trains at grade, are we talking like like an Amtrak kind of thing? Or I'm not. I don't know if I'm quite grasping it. Well, I don't know. I I, I can go back to sort of what it's like to ride trains in you know in Holland. That's a little bit a little bit heavier rail, but there are some. You know, if you if you're riding the train, the red line, and you're you know you're you're heading down the middle of Crowchild, and you're sort of way up above the above the ground and you're doing 80 clicks an hour you feel really like you're on you know if you were in a european a european country you'd probably be on your way to a, a sort of a satellite town to a major city or you'd be right. you'd be heading that way and there's you know there's german trains that i i can think of that that are a lot like that in terms of the fact that they have the, the same style doors go trains are probably a little heavier but that, that's sort of that sort of idea. So they do have a more of a heavy rail feel than i think is really what lrt can do now if that makes sense so if we were going to do something like that, the idea then would be what to, to reach out to the, like the satellite towns, like, like Cochrane, Airdrie, Okotoks. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to talk about actual sort of some commuter rail systems to, to serve some of those. Yeah. I, I know that, you know, some of the first places to look would be Airdrie and, uh, and Cochrane, of course. Uh, and then of course, Banff and Lake Louise are sort of obvious tourist places as well. And I, I don't know that you have to look at the, you have to look at it. And the question is whether you sort of introduce something that's, you know, mediocre and, and build up the, build up the service for it and then sort of keep getting better. Or do you, do you look at it and decide, okay, we're going to bite the bullet and actually have a really useful, good, fast system and then go from there. Right? I mean, we can talk about Calgary to Edmonton too, but um, those are, uh, yeah. So that, that's a little bit heavier rail, but that would be the idea anyways. This uh, edition of the National Talkie League podcast, by the way, brought to you by the Rocky Mountaineer. Don't listen to what Willem says. There ain't no other train going out to this part of the world. Just the Rocky Mountaineer. Buy your tickets. They're totally not cheap. Sorry, I just had to squeeze in that ad. So there was a bus. I, I don't know all the details because I can't think of it right now. But there was a bus company that was offering some uh, some tickets out to like a day trip out to Banff this summer and apparently it went fairly well i'm led to yeah believe. yeah uh on it transit i think was the company uh they were also running from high river and black diamond i think they're running and okotoks so that they were running a sort of a system there commuter bus system i talked with uh, daniel smith about that a little bit and and you know we we're curious to see if that was going to work and then i think they decided for the summer to expand to doing maybe they still have it uh trips to 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 Lake Louise and Banff. And I, I got the impression that the experience was actually pretty good. So um, you know, it was a lot cheaper than driving. You didn't have to deal with the crowds and the traffic and they kind of just brought you right into town. And that was sort of the way to go. So, yeah, I think, you know, if they were able to do, I mean, obviously further down the road, but if they were to do something like LRT, like where you could just hop on at some point in Calgary and, and ride it out to Banff, that might, that might do a lot as far as getting rid of a lot of cars off the road too. Cause you know, I could see myself going, well, I don't have to worry about taking my car out there. You know, Banff's pretty contained. 
Uh, it's pretty, you know, main street. And then if you want to go out to, you know, one of the hotels or out to the hot springs or something like that, you can hop a bus. So, right. you know, there's, there's definitely some, some upside in that, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So I'm going to circle back to that point that I clearly forgot about earlier um, <laughs> when you're talking about taking cars off the road. Cause that's, that's a really interesting thought. I, I, you know, people always say, okay, well, you know, every person on a bus is a person not in a car and it's going to reduce congestion. And, and there's that funny little thing called induced demand where if if it becomes easier to drive you know more people are going to tend to drive and if it becomes easier to take transit you know the, and and there's generally an unlimited supply for driving on roads well like the geometry of it is that we'll never build roads you know, la is a perfect example we'll never build roads that can hold everybody that wants to drive so there has to be some sort of um some sort of balance there so instead i, I talk about transit as it, it increases the mobility it increases the mobility in the city with a fixed amount of congestion. So, you know, I, I'm not sure 14th street is going to just, um, you know, there's cars are going to vanish from 14th street, but the amount of people moving along 14th street is going to go up significantly. If there's a, if there's a rapid bus system, for example. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the better way to put it in, in terms of, in terms of what, you know, what ends up being reality in the long term. Um, so, you know, congestion is sort of, at a, at a fixed point, there's a certain point where it's just too congested and people aren't going to drive. But if you can move people in less space, then you can increase mobility, which is kind of the, the ultimate goal. Yeah. All I but, really, all I really need out of, uh, out of transit is for car is for the train to be as good an experience as my car, which is going to be a pretty tall order. But Yeah. Well, I mean, it, well, go ahead. And, and, so I was just going to say, and, and what Roger was saying was just going to lead into what I was about to say, which was, again, we're back to that positive, you know, uh, we're, we're trying to convince people to use transit and that's part of it, right? If, if you, like you said, uh, you're able to move more people and there's less congestion and they have to worry less about how they're going to get there, that's going to incentivize people to use transit, I think, right? Right. Yeah. And you, you always touch on that. You've already sort of caught the real point, which is that, you know, it's one thing to talk about the aesthetics or what you can do on, on a bus. And, you know, there's some advantages. You can't read while you're driving and you can't do some of those things while you're driving. And that's, that's all right. But you also can't sit and, and listen to your own podcast and sort of sing out, sing out loud and in, in, on a bus. Well, I mean, you can, but one generally doesn't. And, um, but, but what's, what, what transit needs to incentivize people to use transit, it has to be really useful. It has to be useful. And, it's very hard in, in Calgary. It's there's a lot of places where transit isn't useful, and a large part of that is not really the planning of the transit. It's the it's the layout of the city. But um, you know, that's the key is is transit's got to be useful. That's really what what the idea is. Hey, do you feel like the transit the C train corridors are underutilized? And uh, let me rephrase that: are underbuilt. In terms of well, I, mean, every, I just look at C train stations. Like you know, whenever I'm in Anderson Station, for example, or Southland Station, and I think to myself, "This is a huge footprint with one thing on it that is a huge burden to the taxpayers in this city. Why not have some development here so that you know I can get to the train station a bit early and sit down at the coffee shop and read the newspaper, or else I can uh, take the elevator down from my apartment or the medical professionals building and catch." the train that runs right through the basement of it. I just look at every single C train station, particularly on the South line and think that they're missing a huge opportunity. Absolutely. I I totally agree. I think, I think that, um, that those lines were built at a time where we, we were sort of pioneering the idea of, of LRT. I think we were maybe the second city in North America to do this. And, and we didn't quite know what, 
what that meant. So, I mean, the buzzword now, right, is transit-oriented development. And that's really what you're talking about. It's about having stuff around that isn't just for people to access and egress transit stations, to have people actually live there and, and be a part of it. And then, you know, I agree with you, places for people who are visiting to do and people who live nearby. And, and you know, you don't need a car if you can just walk down, take the elevator down to your um, to your to your train right, mm-hmm. as it's arriving. So I, I totally agree. I think there's lots of room. And I think it's slowly happening naturally in some places. Brentwood might be a good example of that. Um, there's some sort of surprising heritage station. It's kind of surprising the amount of stuff that's sort of popped up nearby. And it would be nice if it encroached even closer. Um, there's also the CP right of way there. So that's always kind of a fun problem as well. Right. Yeah. You know, but if they built up that heritage station a bit more, then that water slide, bonsai water slides might reopen. Right. Maybe you can just take a water slide right to the C train platform. That, but then you got to go through that CP right of way. Those right. damn CPs. That's the dream, though. <laughs> well, and even like right downtown, that that the is that CP as well. That the line that goes right along Ninth. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's that strikes me as that that train line basically divides downtown in half. Oh, absolutely! It's a huge it's a huge sort of wall, really. Yeah. Yeah. I always I say that so you know. A lot of cities have that. Toronto has has a big rail line that comes through downtown, but they, he, you know, Toronto has something useful out of it. It has passenger rail. It has some sort of access. And I've, you know, I really think that if we're going to have a, a railway come through the middle of our city, we should have it useful for Calgarians, really more than just delivering delivering goods. So the I don't know where the conversation on that would be. I suspect CP probably is well aware of exactly how much that property is worth, and as well as the fact that all the stuff they're moving through there is probably going to go a lot faster if they can go right through the middle of town, right? So is there uh, is there ever going to be any movement on that? Do you think? Uh, I'm not sure it's about the speed. I mean, I think you could probably get to the facilities in the southeast with if you were to sort of go around the city a little bit faster. There's lots of sort of slowdowns and regulations and stuff you have to follow, especially if you're going through a city with, with dangerous goods and stuff, and lots of risks and safety and liabilities. But I think there's a, just sort of this upfront cost of building the, the the roundabout way with rail. Rail is just incredibly expensive to build, and, and they're, just, they're just not willing to do it. The other thing is that railways have sort of this weird sort of federal power that, that, you know, is sort of left over from them being the first ones to sort of come across the country, um, you know, building the first infrastructure across the country. And so there's a lot of that left over. And so there's not a lot of say that municipalities and even provincial governments might have towards what exactly you're going to do with a railway in your city. And keep in mind the railway bought the first government in this country. Hey oh. No, that's our first scandal, the Pacific scandal. That's the that cost John A. McDonald his job, which he got back. <laughs> well, and and uh I'm not sure on on all the details, but part of the deal with building the the CP line was that uh or the the line was that uh they got every other section of land along the trainway. Yeah. And and uh and they got the mineral rights to those and there's a lot of oil wells that were drilled on those lands and they made a Hell of a lot of money. I'll take your word for it. I, I don't have any frame of reference for that. Is is uh is that well documented, Dave? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those lands are still there, and they still maintain their mineral rights too. So, well, they're very yeah. highly prized lands. I yeah. just think that every time I get to a, a you know a, a train crossing through the middle of downtown, I always think to myself, man, the twenty first century is awesome. I I love shutting my car off in traffic while this <laughs> ninety eight car locomotive <laughs> this whole thing goes through kills me every time 
Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I was hoping something I hope we revisit soon. But what what do you mean? Something you hope that that the city or the country can revisit? Well, it's probably going to be the country that would have to revisit it. But in terms of in terms of what we do with these existing railways in these now sort of very dense and growing municipalities. Okay, well, so let's say uh, you're you're the guy you're in charge of the uh, the planning for uh, for transportation in Calgary, and uh, you can do whatever you want with that CP line. Now they've agreed we've rebuilt the train tracks; they go around now, and we've either purchased or made a deal for all that property. What do you do with that? What do you personally? What's tell tell us your your dream street or your <laughs> what, what do you do with that? Well, we keep it as a rail line, but we just use it as a passenger rail. That would, that would be one way to go. So um, where where do those trains come from? Then? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a few things there's 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 a few problems with having this sort of surfaced wall. So if you're going to build a train line and you really I can really do whatever I want with it, then probably burying it would be a better plan. But um, I, I really think that there is a uh, a pretty large justification for having uh, a pretty fat, a decent rail system going to Edmonton. Um, at something fast enough, you know, the, the, some of the plans say you get to Edmonton in 80 minutes, core to core in 80 minutes, which is pretty good. That's, that's short enough that I could go see a concert at, at the, at the, the arena in Edmonton and, and come back that same evening and not have to worry about it. Then uh, we don't have to worry about building another flames, flames arena. <laughs> I love that. You know, I took the bus, I took the red arrow up to Edmonton, uh, two weeks ago now there was like right. six people on it and you know i i get that there's tra- traffic and stuff like that it's just my my only comment here is is how do you operate <laughs> how do you operate that bus company because they were surely losing money on that fare yeah maybe that bus was I mean, i've had a couple of full buses yeah um, i don't know i'm not i'm i am many things but i'm not a businessman so i don't i don't know how to run that how they run that but you have to assume it, it runs it some sort of sustainable. Well, now I'm presenting anecdotal evidence though, as right. being hard fast. So no, I, there were only six people on that bus. <laughs> Therefore right. it's a failing business. Right. Well, I saw a full bus, so we'll average it out. Uh, 20. That's hearsay though. Oh, that's data. That's called data. <laughs> is what that is. Collecting data. I believe that's a datum. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I think that probably brings us to the, uh, to the conclusion here. Um, so, uh, if, if you're a, uh, you're, you're a transit guy, you're trying to send a message out to the people of Calgary, what would you tell them? What, what should, what should we be doing? What should we be thinking when we think about transportation in Calgary? Uh, it's going to be a little bit, maybe a little bit nerdy, but I think we need to look at transportation from a point of geometry. I think I did talk about that, but I really think that, Conversations about anything to do with moving around uses space and people talk a lot about their sort of personal experience, a lot about, you know, what the buses look like and how they get from point A to point B. But I think, you know, on a larger scale, we need to have conversations about, about what we're doing with the space in our city, regardless of, of how we're getting around. That's a little vague, but. No. no, I think that's good because <laughs> yeah. you're right. People do frame it in terms of this is how I move around. This is my, this is what I do. But I think, yeah, it's probably not often that we stop and think about what other people do or what would be the most efficient or what would be the best way to go about doing it. I, I often say that I wish that pe- more people would use the bike lanes and more people would use city transit. I think the more, the fewer cars we have on the road, the better in my opinion. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, that, that really comes out. That's what I like about transit. It is a big compromise. It's you're forcing a compromise. And, but, you know, you sit on a bus and you look around at the people on a bus and you see people from all walks of life. You see people in suits, you see people with kids, you see, you know, you see all kinds of people. And that I think is really what is kind of romanticizing it a little bit, but that is, that is what's great about transit is it brings a bunch of different people together. Um, rather than kind of pushing a bunch of different people apart. Oh, I thought you were going to say that's the worst part about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the worst part about it is flu season. There you go. Uh, right, right. No, but you know, I like what you say there though, Willem is, is to think about the geometry because even my, my, you know, beef that uh, the, the train stations aren't built up enough. That's a, that's an argument with, you know, with respect to the geometry uh, around our system. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I do wish people who wouldn't have such an allergy to building up. I don't know why, Dave. Like, you know, the urban sprawlers and the opposite of that is like, oh, do you just want to build up the downtown and blah, blah, blah. I don't understand why those arguments can't uh, exist in a in a space where we just try to figure out if, if on a case-by-case basis it's a net positive. Right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, and you know we're not necessarily forcing people to live in these places, but there is demand. I mean, there's a reason the Beltline is growing rapidly. There's there is people do have value in it, and so we might as well. Mm-hmm. There's as long as there's people who want it, we might as well. Dave and I have actually uh, pitched a reality TV show where we do force people to live in in places uh, <laughs> against their will. So. Okay, that's great. But it's, yeah, it's, you can count me out. It's in production. Yeah, All right. pre-production. All right, this has been awesome. Uh, so thanks so much, uh, Willem, for for chatting with us. So if people want to get a hold of you or or read what you're writing, uh, tell us where you can we can find you. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter uh, at wklumpen w k l u m p e n. Um, I also write on the website spuryyc.org. Uh, it's been a little quiet lately; been busy, but um, there you can sort of read some Calgary perspectives on some different aspects of transit. I referenced a few things already in this episode. Uh, so that's probably the best place to read. Uh, you can also Google my name on CBC if you want to read that article. Yeah, I've read a lot of stuff on Spur. It's always really interesting. I like that you also have uh, uh, sort of planners or people who are interested in transportation from other parts of the world too. It's always interesting to see their perspective on things as well. Absolutely. If anybody feels like guest posting, that's uh, I'm always I'm always open to that idea. Beauty. Well, Willem, thanks so much for your time today, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Roger. Thanks, Dave. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.